Welcome to the No Normal. No Normal Podcast is a special presentation coming to you from New Music Edmonton. Thank you for joining us for this month's array of conversations, music, and special features. For more information about our organization's programming and events, look us up on social media or visit our website, newmusicedmonton.ca. New Music Edmonton respectfully acknowledges that this celebration of creativity was produced on Treaty 6 territory. Amiskwishiwaskaigan is the traditional gathering place of the many indigenous peoples whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence and enrich our community. We further acknowledge that it was the indigenous peoples of Treaty 6 who established the principles for, and have remained exemplars of, the respectful and caring use of this land for the purposes of art, livelihood, and spirituality. It is from these principles that New Music Edmonton has sought and will continue to seek partnerships, inspiration, and learning. This is Oscar Tsebart, host of NME's No Normal Podcast. Welcome to this season's second episode. Today we'll meet with four Edmonton artists and explore their new compositions. We'll also welcome two new interviewers to our team and feature a 2019 commission from the NME archives. First, though, let's catch up with our current artistic director, Ian Crutchley, to hear some of the latest news about New Music Edmonton. So, Ian, what's been the reaction thus far to the podcast series? Really interesting. I mean, for us, this is a new adventure. So we didn't really know exactly what to expect. And so far, I think, um, you know, the most positive and most common thing is just I think people are hearing the new works and they're really enjoying getting to hear what the creatives have to say. Right now, so many people are glued to watching things on the news and Zoom meetings that they, they are doing all day long and so on. That I think having a chance to get some really new artistic things but to be able to do it at your own time, whether you're, you know, in the car or out for a walk or doing some cooking or something, I think people are really digging that. You know, for an organization like New Music Edmonton, the numbers of people that have been engaging with this have actually been huge by our standards, which is great. And also, it seems like it's acting as a kind of an ambassador for Edmonton artists because we're seeing people all over the world listening to it. For New Music Edmonton to be discoverable by anybody that listens to podcasts is really very, very far out for us. We're enjoying that a lot. Really glad to have you joining us here in Edmonton and hearing what some of our artists are working on right now. What can people look forward to in this second episode of the series? We have new commissions. So we're going to be premiering some new pieces by some Edmonton artists. We have an electronic piece by the Giovanni, um, an audiovisual piece by Light Pirate, which is Evelyn Delgado and Jeff Reed. And then a harp and voice piece by Diana Taylor. So those are all pieces that we commissioned through our Edmonton Arts Council grant for the Known Normal Music. We're also uh, exploring something new, which is we want to go into our archives and let people hear some of the pieces that previously have only been available live that we commissioned or otherwise had on one of our concerts in the past. And that's going to be a regular part of our podcast looking forward. What else does uh, NME have going on outside of the podcast that might be of interest to listeners in the near future and, and beyond? Actually, we're doing a little bit of a mini festival for Solstice Weekend. Um, it's extremely modest and very mini indeed, but it comes under the title of our Now Here This Festival, which is something we've been doing for a decade. 
We have commissioned a new piece of dance and music by Lynn Snelling and Michael Reinhardt, who are two very well-loved and um, very well-known artists in Edmonton. For the solstice itself, we've commissioned three duos of poets and sound artists who are going to be giving us three unique works that haven't been heard before. So the, uh, the duos are Shima Robinson and Mustafa Rafiq, Brandon Wint and Adam Sakaili, and Nisha Patel, Edmonton's Poet Laureate, and Rue Manyonga. They've been cooking up some, some new texts and some new music for us. That information's on our website right now and um, social media and so on, so you can check out when those things are going to be available. And if you miss them this weekend, one of our priorities this year is when we do bring new work to our audiences, we want to make sure it's available for a long time. So if you check out our website, you're going to find a whole bunch of the works that are being talked about on this podcast, as well as the ones from the last episode. That was Ian Crutchley, Artistic Director of New Music Edmonton. Next, we'll meet Edmonton artist Diana Taylor and listen to her new work, Soft with Sleep. Diana is a harpist, composer, and choral singer. Her music is inspired both by nature and the challenges and beauty of humanity. She strives to use her compositions as a form of storytelling. Let's listen to her piece first, followed by her conversation with Ian Crutchley. Soft with Sleep was commissioned by New Music Edmonton through the generous assistance of the Edmonton Arts Council.
Could you tell me a little bit about how you became a harpist? I had a dream. I was playing the harp and it was the strangest thing because I hadn't seen a harp recently. I didn't really have any exposure. It was just such a glorious feeling and I could just feel like my fingers plucking the strings and sort of the reverberations as it let go and the sound was just amazing. And I woke up and I was like, holy smokes, I'm going to start playing the harp. <laughs> so I called Carrie Lynn's Wicker. I said, Carrie, I must play the harp. Yeah, so she, she hooked me up with a student that was selling hers and I got that and I never looked back. Can you point to anything in your previous life that might have led you to that dream or is it just something? No, that- you know, the uh, only thing is when I was singing with the U of A concert choir, uh, we had one rehearsal at the Jubilee Auditorium and I saw Nora's harp there, the Nora Bumanis. And I don't know, I was just sort of like struck and just kind of stared at it for a while. And it was just so beautiful and enchanting and captivating. But that is really the closest that I had been to the harp before I started playing it. You're just at the beginning of your master's degree in composition now. Yes. And I wonder what your impressions are of that so far during the pandemic and how you're reacting to that as a student and as a composer. You know, that's a very good question. I initially did not think that I would enjoy it with everything being online, but in some ways it actually is freeing me up a lot creatively because I have a lot more time. You're not dashing back and forth between classes or, you know, if something comes up in a lesson, I'm right there at my piano or, you know, you can sort of jot things down. You can get right into it. Have you found your attitude towards music making changing? I'm wondering if you've thought about music making in a different way as a result of the way things are in the world right now. Absolutely. One thing that I'm really trying to wrap my head around is how can you get an ensemble or a group, any group of singers or instrumentalists to play together? I find myself wanting to figure out how, how can I write music that can be performed by people who aren't together, but in a way that is still satisfying. I feel like there's going to be a whole genre of music that comes out of this and it will free people up to be able to play. For example, I have a lot of musician friends in Ottawa, and this frees me up to be able to, to play with them mm-hmm. or all, all around the world. So, yeah, so I, I, I think that's sort of how I would see it changing. Let's talk about your new piece, Soft With Sleep. Sure, yeah. Maybe I could ask you if you could give us a few thoughts on your ideas for it and how it came about. Absolutely. I came across a poem written by my friend and neighbor, Christy Retson Spalding, and I just thought it was such a beautiful poem. I just wanted to somehow put it to music. So I just started playing around on the harp with some different ideas and different motifs. And one of the central themes being dawn the dawning of a new morning and opening your eyes and, you know, seeing your beloved lying there and sort of not wanting to get out of bed and all of these stories that you've been, you know, it's a very hopeful, pleasant, blissful Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And I thought that why not whispering? I mean, that is sort of goes into that realm between sleeping and awakening. I wanted to have a lot of soft sounds, ethereal sounds, kind of surreal sounds. 
that you would tend to associate with the early morning, whispering, birds, blockage spiel, the sound of pencil writing, that's meant to evoke just the poet writing out the poem ah, before okay. the song actually okay. starts and you, yeah, and before getting into it. And the singing bowls, a friend of mine who was actually my, my kid's kindergarten teacher a couple of years ago, I met her through the school and she's just the most wonderful person. She just has the best energy and she has a few singing bowls. So I was fortunate to have her record a bit of that for me. And what was her name? Yes, Charlotte Luzon. There is a fourth person credited on your program notes, which is uh, Keith Retson Spalding. Oh my goodness, Keith. Where do I even start with Keith? Keith is the man that brought all of this together. I did a version of this piece recorded in my home. There was a lot of noise in the background. I mean, a lot of it didn't even pick up any waveforms. It was very, very hard for me to do. So Keith made all the magic happen. He just lives right next door and they have a beautiful home with a nice vaulted ceiling. So the harp just sounded like a million bucks in there. Mm-hmm. And he has super fancy microphones and he recorded it for me. And we just sort of stitched it together based on the version of it that I did. But with his sound, it sounds like a bajillion times better. Yeah, it's very that, beautiful that sounding. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> So circling back to your composition process for this, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you gradually built it into the structure that it is now. Generally, when I'm writing a piece, you know, I do like the the sections of the piece to, to flow. Like there may be a cadence or something, but then it will kind of pick up. With this piece, I I really did break it up. I guess there would be how many? Well, there was sort of like the the prelude, I guess you could call it, just with the pencil writing and the birds coming in. So that was sort of the introduction. And then I really liked the last few lines of the piece, which are soft with sleep, your eyes open and look into mine. So I started off with that. And then there's the meditation bowl comes in and there's kind of that sort of gentle gong to sort of signal that, okay, now the, the, the poem is beginning. And then where it starts with the, the whispering of a thousand new beginnings, stories old and yet untold, I took that as another musical idea. And yeah, so I guess I basically deconstructed the poem into the main ideas of the poem. And I had three or four musical ideas for how to musically represent that and the accompanying birds and other sounds that I had in there to, to complement. Was this piece of departure at all? Just being able to have that freedom of incorporating a lot of different ambient sounds, of, of just having that multi-track approach, is, it just kind of freed me up quite a bit. I haven't written a piece like this before, and I, I can't wait to, wait to write my next one. A conversation between Ian Crutchley and Diana Taylor Taylor's new work, Soft with Sleep. Next up is a new feature, NME Commission's Redux, a chance for us to revisit some of the works NME has brought Edmonton audiences over the past few years. This is a piece we commissioned last season from Edmonton's Jane Berry, a vocalist who sings with a number of professional ensembles. Berry also volunteers with local youth and works as a composer and visual artist. 
In 2017, journalist Mark Morris described Barry's works as impactful far beyond music making. She continues to develop a reputation as a champion for the underrepresented, using her voice as a composer, performer, and visual artist toward that goal. We're very pleased to welcome Good Women Dance Collective founder Ainsley Hilliard to our interview team. Ainsley spoke to Jane Barry about her work. So, Jane, you and I uh, met on, yes. on Love Fail, the project, the collaboration between Procoro and Good Women. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite memories was how there's four women who were dancing and four women who were singing. And as soon as you walked into the room, the four of you walked into mm-hmm. the room and immediately like I like leaned over to Alita and I was like, okay, but if each one of us was one of them, I would be her, right? <laughs> 100%. And Alita was like, oh yeah, 100% you would be her. And I just remember like you had your shave patch and like I used to have a shave patch <laughs> the tallest one and like you look kind of like like cool and like kind of punky and I was like oh yeah that's me for sure <laughs> and then the joke went on and we kept you know doing that to each other and I remember you being like oh yeah no like I'm like 100% the Ainsley of this pro coro group yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know I I think it was just your energy right like mm-hmm. I I remember in that group I think we were just like I have a video that I always remember of me pretending to be I always am like I'm gonna pretend to be the dancer yes. and you were like la 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 I'm gonna sing with you <laughs> that was that but it was also the way I think like the way we both did it we were both like I don't know we yeah. have some similarities I don't know if it's just like in our social interactions or the way we were I don't know we were both like the goofballs definitely totally the goofballs of our groups for sure so Jane one of the things that I want to ask you about is um your commission the break other than doing this um podcast with you I have no context for like um first of all the history of like when you were commissioned to do this how it was performed when it was performed could you just take me through how this kind of came about yeah I got the commission I I would say it felt like the end of last school year or not last year, the year before. So I was, I was thinking about it and, and writing it over the summer. I didn't have a topic at first. And for me uh, in particular, text is really important because I knew as a vocalist, there would be a vocalist involved. I, I really didn't know what direction to go in. I had some musical ideas in mind that I was playing with. Um, and because all of the members of Ultraviolet Ensemble are all I know, like fantastic new music performers in particular, I knew that I could really, really play, play with kind of new techniques and extended techniques and contemporary um, ideas. I run a youth choir and I have for many, many years called the E-Town Miners. And I uh, ended up having um, an individual from that choir who I had basically informally mentored for like many years. Um, and they actually, well, house sitting for me while I was away in BC had um, their first uh, manic episode um, and were later diagnosed with bipolar one. But it was uh, a huge uh, incident that turned into a summer long of me trying to navigate and help this youth through this like really, really, really extremely turbulent time. But I knew this, I knew this kid (laughs) and they're amazing. Uh, And so it was pretty 
like all of a sudden it, about kind of halfway through that summer, maybe, maybe three weeks into, um, dealing like daily with this individual, uh, it just became apparent to me that this was absolutely going to be like the basis or like the, the inspiration source of inspiration for the piece. Cass is the name of the individual who's going through this and she ended up, um, uh, co-developing the text for the, for the piece with me as well. She wrote a ton of poetry. So while she was going through this time, she was constantly, um, her mania kind of was expressing itself through the creation of art. So she would, she was doing paintings. She was uh, frantically creating in all these different idioms. She really needed, she kept saying that she needed, everybody needed to break, um, but for a sense of betterment. Mm-hmm. I ended up using a poem that she developed. And then once I had, once I kind of, decided on that text the piece came really really fast I remember very clearly like the first time uh, the f- the first rehearsal the very first time the that the group played through the piece um and I remember like their their response I didn't tell them very much about the uh, about the history but gave them just a little bit and and I just remember their response and they they got it and they felt it and um at that time when we were just starting rehearsals it was still really fresh, you know, Cass was still deciding, like, still trying to get used to, you know, her treatment plan and, and all of that. And I was still very much in the midst of trying to help her navigate things. And I don't know, it, it all felt like it fell into place and turned into something meaningful from something that was just difficult. I think in the context of this piece, I think Cass was just really brave. Yeah because to be in the midst of something that she was still processing. And I'm really, really thankful that for our relationship and also that we were able to like trust each other. But I think, you know, the discussion around bringing awareness and being vocal about, um, about mental health in particular is something that I believe really, really strongly in. And also being an educator, like I, I see, um, well, I've worked predominantly in the university, but I'm trained um, in sec as a secondary educator. And it's like kids like need these creative outlets and we need to talk about these things. And I think working through, but, you know, working through this project with Cass, like it takes a lot of bravery um, to share your story. And I just think she's like amazing to have been, you know, willing to share this basically, because it was no small thing. That's huge that she had you as a resource to be able, like not only as like a a support for the crisis she was going through, but as a collaborator to create this piece, like healing, like together. So that's very cool. For me, like I know um, this work and I know the beginning of happiness of yours Mm -hmm. um, and how they both, seem to come from really personal experience, even like the break being, you know, um, kind of Cass's story. It is really collaborative and also like, yeah, like strong emotion or even, um, like, like looking at social, uh, like social issues in a larger spectrum, like domestic violence or perhaps mental health. How important is that to your process? And does it follow you into your other mediums like painting or is it strictly a musical thing? I know it's definitely, I think it's like a, just a big part of my identity. Like, and I, 
I think I kind of really came to understand that the first time I really did it or really did it well, maybe. <laughs> um, first time that I feel like I ever really managed to capture something um, powerful that I felt had like broad application that could be powerful for other people um, to experience was when I did the, when I wrote the mass for my mother. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really, there was like, more than a decade in between when I graduated from my composition degree and started writing again. And I started writing again in the hospital, <laughs> like literally at my computer overnight while my mother was like in the ICU. <laughs> um, and then that ended up being months, you know, she had major brain surgery um, and ended up passing away a year later, but I was her primary caregiver throughout that time. And so I literally would stay with her night after night. And it, I think it had a big impact on me because it, it was, it was the process, right? Like the, it, it was literally me in the midst of something using this art form to help me deal with something that was really complex. Um, and also I think it had on the, on the other side of that is that my mother period was a huge influence for me. So growing up, my mother, um, was worked for as a women's rights advocate um so she ran uh homeless sheltered for battered women and children her work um after my experience with domestic violence had even more of a meaning to me you know it became i had a different understanding all of a sudden obviously but my mom just had a huge influence on me period in my life i mean i think most people can say that but i always had a respect for her work as a social worker i think that first that first piece when I when I wrote the Mass for Recovery for her uh, was the biggest work other than the beginning of happiness that I've ever written. You know, biggest in terms of scope too. It's like 12 parts. And I pretty much wrote it with Procoro in mind. So um, so I was able to really like make it big because I knew their capabilities. Mm -hmm. I think that piece just kind of showed me how to bridge my passion for social justice and my create and my my need really to express especially things that are really complex it's like how i work through things that are really difficult and complex creatively so it was the first time that i really found that like that marriage of of working through something in a creative outlet and pairing it with uh, an issue that i'm like really passionate about which is definitely something that in my those are two streams that i think I, I was treating relatively separately prior to when I wrote that piece. It's so nice to know the story behind, um, behind your mom. Cause I, I knew a bit about it when it was happening. Mm -hmm. Like, um, it was kind of in between the time frame was in between love fail and beginning of happiness. So yeah, it was right in the middle. Yeah. Well, love fail actually played a huge part in it because um, she went in and out of a coma a couple of times. And I think it was the first time that she was really, um, that she had slipped into a coma while at home. And we were in the middle uh, of the production weekend actually for Love Fail. Yeah. And we had at least, we had like Friday, double on Saturday and, and a matinee on Sunday, I think was our schedule. And it meant the world to me because um, the singers actually came on Sunday morning to my house and performed Love Fail, like just added in another um, another production and sang at her bedside and it woke her up out of her out of her coma. Thank you so much.
for doing this with me today and talking about all these things. It's very, very cool to hear what you're, what you've been up to and also um, a little bit more in depth uh, and behind the scenes. So I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for talking to me. Absolutely. I like seeing your face. <laughs> I like seeing your face. Nobody on the podcast will see our faces, but okay. we, were, we saw each other's faces and it was very nice. It was perfect. <laughs> You're listening to the No Normal Podcast from New Music Edmonton. I'm your host, Oscar Tsebarth. This podcast is part of our No Normal season of digital presentations. NME is a not-for-profit arts organization and is dependent on a vast array of sponsors, donors, members, and volunteers. We thank all of them for their generosity and continued commitment to recognizing the vital role that the arts play in our lives. Earlier, we shared a conversation between Ainsley Hilliard and Jane Barry. Now let's listen to Barry's 2019 composition, The Break. New Music Edmonton commissioned this piece for local ensemble Ultraviolet, consisting of Roger Admiral, Chino Anderson, Alison Balchetis, and Amy Nicholson. They premiered The Break, featuring the composer as guest vocalist. Thank you. 
Edmonton Ensemble Ultraviolet there with the world premiere of Jane Berry's The Break, recorded live at McDougall United Church in November 2019. Thanks to Nico Arniz for his work recording the piece. The Giovanni is a multifaceted artist. His audio work includes DJing and composing. He is also a unique visual artist working in graffiti-based photography, painting, and fashion design, as well as a food professional and educator. The Giovanni spoke with Ian Crutchley and will hear their conversation, followed by the new electroacoustic work, Hello. When I was younger, this graffiti was kind of like a, a way to be like, from my understanding, it's like some people do graffiti, they do tags and they're kind of annoying, but I, I like the graffiti and like, to me, I find that graffiti is kind of like a pun or like a word that you can look at that could mean more than one thing and it's being creative with letters and how other shape the different you know fonts and there's graffiti artists who have a specific font that they use and the shaping and everything and i just thought that was pretty cool and started doing that every once in a while and it's kind of a weird thing because it's like i don't want to advertise like where i graffitied but at the same <laughs> time it's like public art but i could get in trouble so it's kind of like to me it's also one of those pieces of like art that you can do it's like I don't have to tell everyone to come to my show and look at this piece, but if you go down this street and look at this wall, then, uh, something that I did kind of thing. So it's kind of like a underground, uh, you know, appreciation. And, you know, there's people's like, oh, I could tell that sold. So if you're in the know of like where graffiti was, and I, I kind of like that, like invisible, but people notice and know who you are from your art. The Edmonton art scene taking all of the different ways people express themselves artistically is a fairly unique place. And I just wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. And, and also, could you talk a little bit about how you feel like you fit into the Edmonton scene mm. or not? Maybe you don't. I, that's actually a good question. Growing up here, I wasn't really influenced or had that many friends in the art scene. I never really met those people like until like later in my life. I kind of liked that feeling of being invisible and no one really knew who I was. I would say a couple times I would DJ and then people would be like, hey, I really like your DJ set. That was pretty cool. Thanks a lot. And I'll just like, oh, I'm just to me, I'm just like, I get a chance to play music in public with people. And that's pretty cool. Didn't think of myself as like this ground, groundbreaking new Edmonton so-and-so. I would just trying to be creative and play music. That's something that I would really love to do. Right. Uh, I guess getting older, I, I think I've seen this Edmonton art seems kind of is different. I, mm-hmm. I try to talk to as many people. I, I, I met a few that are pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. It's being around like a lot of other creative people it kind of inspired me to be like, do something. When you are starting to work on a new piece of music or really any kind of art, what kind of process do you go to? Mm, with music and sounds, I'm just thinking of a sound or I want to express something. And then usually I just like sit in front of my computer, kind of like make the outline of it, if you will, like the baseline, the melody. And then sometimes if it's like going really smooth, then I'll try to like, okay, this is cool. I'll finish that, put it over here. Or if it's just like something that I'm like, ah, I like this, this feel and I'm just going to keep on like over playing in, in my mind over and over and over playing on the computer until it's like has something that I could be like yeah I can walk away from that but if it's like oh I, I want to work on this more uh, I guess for myself I notice that if I keep on trying to say I'm going to work on this more it doesn't really get done <laughs> so I'd rather just like 
a little bit force it out and be like, okay, this is what it is. And if I don't like it, then I'll start from the top or do something totally different. In the program notes for your piece, Hello, you talk about it being a prolonged, awkward moment. Uh, it was a recording with my son, and I think we were playing around in like my little makeshift studio. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like literally just doing like a, a mic check and I had a mic, and he's like, hello, hello? <laughs> and then just playing with it. And it's, it's funny how it was, I recorded it and listened to his voice, and it was just kind of reminded me like a little bit like dystopian, like Blade Runner, like end of the world uh, kind of feel. And it feels like everyone's like hiding away or they can't go outside because it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. That kind of mindset and everyone's like freaked out, doesn't know what's going on, COVID. And it seems like I'm so used to like, oh, giving people high fives and not be like sanitized and then elbow bump. And it's just, it's different. It seems like everyone's so far away. So I'm trying to be like, hey, 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 look at me. Remember yeah. me? <laughs> Remember handshakes? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And hugs and things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so are the awkward moments that you're talking about things that are not real interactions with people? I think it just, it just makes everyone kind of confused and scared at the same time. And I just accept that and like use that as fuel to make something. Is there a way that you know when you're finished? Mm. For example, with DJing, uh, I, which I've never done, I don't know really much about how it's done, but, you know, is there a sort of an optimum moment where you know the mix is right? Oh, uh, that's, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a secret, but it's like my method, mathematical equation. So it's like, say you're DJing for X amount of time, and I find it has to be like a perfect bell curve, like a, like a, a good story. It's like an outline, it's like, you know, the introduction, the middle, and like the the closing ender, you know, like you want it one that all come together and, the, the feeling to know when you're finished is, I don't know, I guess don't really end it too abruptly, but make sure you got whatever you wanted to express out before you're finished or mm-hmm. you can do another one. Um, this, this piece that I did for you, it was like really, I would say really small, but it was, it was more challenging than doing like a five minute piece. A smaller one's just like, oh, you want to listen to that a hundred times and it tastes so good in your ears. And you're just like, Whoa, what's that? Instead of doing all these little tiny ones. And I realized like, people's attention is very like consuming more and next, next, next. And I just feel like the shorter, the better. And it's like short and sweet. I like my, my theory is short and sweet. If you make it short and sweet, people will listen to it a hundred times. You're the life out of sight of art making is mm. creating food. Yeah. Yeah. And I wondered what, if any connection there is between those things. Uh, I think there is a huge connection with that. But I think I base it on, to me, food is just like, you know, you got to collect your ingredients and how much time and break things down, add some heat, acid or sugar, or salt. It's kind of like taking a chicken breast and like you, how you season it, it's like how you EQ it, if you will. And like have a certain sound, a certain feel. It'd be really spicy or it could just be nice and neutral. To me, food and music are hand in hand. Like they're pretty much the same thing. I think about them the same. You talk about realness being one of your primary focuses. And I wonder if you can talk a bit about what realness means to you. Realness to me is just like, instead of doing something because it's like for money or for, you know, the status, I'm doing it as real as I can. I'm not trying to be pretentious. I'm just like, this is how I am when I get excited when I'm making music and I'm moving around and I'm happy. I'm trying to give that, that real emotion transfer. Probably like a, an influence, uh, Richard D. James or Apex Twin, and just the 
the way how he is is more about the music than about himself or you can see certain artists are like look at me it's all about me where i like taking a page out of his book being like it's not really about me you shouldn't have to worry about who i am it's just used to be excited about what kind of thing that i'm making was Hello by The Giovanni, commissioned by New Music Edmonton. Before that, we heard the composer in conversation with Ian Crutchley. The final feature of this episode of the No Normal Podcast highlights one of Edmonton's most unique collaborative teams, Bracing and Light Pirate, a.k.a. Jeff Reed and Evelyn Delgado. Their unique time-based practice includes a dazzling array of audio and visual techniques and materials. As part of the No Normal Project, New Music Edmonton commissioned them to create a new audiovisual work, Medicine 2020. Artist Caitlin Sean Richards, co-creator of this podcast, caught up with the duo and had a wide-ranging chat about the new work and much more. Jeff, 
is known as bracing and I am mainly known as light pirate. One of us will come up with a concept and then kind of explain it to the other person and then we will take off. So either I come up with a visual piece first and then he will do the soundtrack to it or you will already have a soundtrack in mind and then I will do the visuals for it. For this piece, what stage does the narrative emerge? For this one in particular, we were trying to go into a surrealist landscape. So we're trying to recreate something that had a lot of clean surfaces and also felt almost like a roller coaster ride. So everything was really abstract, really colorful. You toured, you went up, you went down, and you were just immersed in sound and light. We work with abstract materials, but we try to make it like a story. And there's kind of a contrast between being outside and seeing things and then seeing your own vision from the inside. What is your process for creating the images? Artistic process normally is about the narrative of the art. And I think that goes back to me being a teacher. So we really want to break things down into their elements. So with this one, that motif of the triangle and the square and the globe or the circle. You know, in this case, we had a technical idea, which was the studio we set up. And you can kind of see it in the parts where it feeds back on itself. There's a wider view that kind of takes that into account where you see a background. So everything we were doing was being processed first in a, a feedback loop and then projected again onto this surface and then recorded and then the video came out. It really is about what would happen if we took away all of this crazy stuff that's going on around us and took you to maybe a different planet where things are really clean and things are really fun. And then it was also the expression of what was going on in our heads, which was really nervous energy, which continues. We've got a little video synthesizer box that we play onto a monitor and then have a camera that does a feedback loop with that and then we further project that onto surfaces and uh, like a stage set sort of thing and then we record the resulting video. And so when you're doing that live, does that happen in live time? Is that kind of your usual setup? We normally do it live. This time I tried to do a, a two-minute live run-through I just thought it was more interesting to collect a bunch of vignettes and sort of connect them together that way. But we also do, you know, longer form where if there are cuts and everything, where it's one image that develops over a long time. Yeah, for this one, because it was, we had to hand in the piece, we had the benefit of being able to edit it. Right. <laughs> a live performance, you really just let the computers do their own thing with a little help from you. But this one, we cut out the parts that we didn't like and sliced them together. But it was filmed within one hour. We just cut it down to like two minutes. Are you present in that feedback loop? It's kind of about seeing your own vision from the inside, the sort of psychedelic idea. We see these surfaces now in COVID especially. You look at a, a wall, you look at a handrail, you wonder what's there. Our video kind of shows that magnified, sort of your own perceptions shape what you take from what you see. All the things that used to be normal before, like doorknobs in particular, now are like really scary. You don't know what you're gonna touch, you're really scared of the surfaces. So for this one, it was like create this landscape where you can feel and touch and see and hear the surfaces around you. 
Mm-hmm. It's almost like every surface has had a presence or a story to tell of who's already been there and the turning the corner is like, are you going to encounter that through this microscopic world? We like to play normally in alternative locations like hallways or under bridges. My ideal performance space would be a forest. We haven't got there yet, but we're, we're trying to sort of make an immersive experience and we, we do play gigs as well, like bar shows, and we just will set up a projector and play music and that's a lot of fun but we would like to do something more theatrical and we have in the past i like when audiences come away from our shows saying whoa what was that and are pleasantly surprised i also again i'm repeating this <laughs> the third time but i really do love breaking down the artistic pieces live on stage so if, if i'm going to put something on the monitor and it's going to be fed back through the all of the tech i want people to see me cutting the paper putting it in front of the camera and then seeing how that piece of paper has changed through all of the computer elements that we have. So you work a lot with ideas of collage, would you say? It's more shadow puppetry, I would say. Sometimes instead of just being the 2D shadow puppets, we will use real objects. But there definitely is some combining of images. We take images, we will use normal video you know, videos of nature and videos taken. So we'll incorporate that sort of thing into a puppet show. The, the, so over the summer, we were stuck in a construction zone and every day started with jackhammering. And so when we got this commission, we were in that sort of space where it was just this repeating. And the baseline of the music kind of comes out of that. It's just always going and it's got a syncopated rhythm as well that plays in different sort of meters. And it's always changing and it never really resolves. Yeah, it was really interesting that COVID hit just as construction started in front of our house. Um, and so the jackhammer started at 7 a.m., six days a week. And so we were stuck inside and it just it would vibrate through our whole house. And every day had that same rhythm. And so, you know, I would record the different sounds that they came out and those sort of turned into the percussion and the rhythmic elements of that. I wanted to ask you, because you talked about a 2.5 minute time limit. How did you find working with that? I mean, for me, when I'm listening to it, I felt like it was so action packed that I didn't get that sense of it being short or anything. I felt like it could go on forever. And I know it was a really great thing. Like it kept unfolding. I think we tried to pack as much into it as we could. Um, when we were filming it live, it was over an hour. So I feel like, well, Bill, you had the music already by that point. Um, when there's jackhammering happening outside your rear window, it's 30 every second feels like an hour so I think it was definitely that just like being inside feeling that nervous energy and then there's also the nervous energy about a pandemic going on and I don't know about you but for me hours have a really weird sense they feel really long and then they feel really short so the two minutes felt like a really long time when we were starting and you had to fill every microsecond but it also felt like not enough like it was like oh this was like a, we had a lot of time within those two minutes to explore or deep valleys and peaks. Thinking about that time and just how the pandemic hit and, and there's everything is kind of shutting down. I mean, I was seeing a lot of artists or peers who are just suddenly almost treating it like it's a residency doing new projects or even just people at home suddenly like making bread for the first time. And so how did you find your productivity? Well, I used it as a chance to not learn about COVID and not pay attention to it. So I would just work on music instead. I have the opposite. I really absorb that nervous energy. So I read absolutely every article and then rebuttal 
rebuttals on every article and corrections on the articles. And then when I started this project, I was cutting pieces of paper, like very tiny shapes in paper, um, but just like, and it was putting all that nervous energy back into the piece. And although I still feel like it has a nervous energy, I got rid of all that and tried to play live where it was more of a positive effect. So instead of trying to draw, I also draw sometimes in a lot of my pieces, cross hatching frame by frame animation. And I really didn't want this piece to have any of that nervous negative energy and instead showcase some of the happier nervous energy. So there is a lot of intersecting lines, but I physically didn't have to draw them or cut them on paper. So I abandoned that. And that was sort of a, a comfortable thing. Yeah, it was very soothing. And did you find that a bit meditative when you were doing that? It was meditative to not do it. First, it was like, this paper's not sharp enough. My scissors aren't great enough. It's not coming out the way I want. And regardless of how sharp my scissors were, what kind of paper, it was never going to be that because I was putting negative nervous energy into it. So I got rid of that and just let the computer do its work. Sort of letting go of control. So it's so hard <laughs> to know what's around the corner. Yeah, related to that. So it's really hard to know where this where things are going. I mean, we have ideas, we can keep watching the statistics or the data. And as it's unfolding, do you see this piece continuing? Do you see it as resolved? Or do you want to continue working on this as a series? But we're going to do more like this for sure. That's kind of a theme in the music is a lack of resolution. We're always sort of trying different versions of something we did in the past and trying to sort of update it and make it more clear or more high res or even less in the other direction. Like we're both really to VHS and that sort of glowing aesthetic. And technically speaking, everything in the mail was delayed for months and months, but we received our new video mixer like almost a week before we had to hand in this project. And it was like, oh, this is so great. We get to play with this one thing, but we were just learning how to play with it. it was so so much yeah, this is it. just us sort of taking the first step down something we've done before, but it's a, a definitely a new iteration of it. So if people who are interested, where can they find your work online? We're at Light Pirate Dot net. And okay. all the links are on there. Why not ask, you know, what have you been listening to or reading or taking inspiration from during the pandemic? I read a lot of sci-fi and listen to sci-fi podcasts. So my head's always out in the clouds and in space and trying to think of a future that we can actually have. I read Bram Stoker's Dracula during pandemic and I read Jane Eyre and I didn't know how dark and surreal it was going to be. And I read it for the first time and it was really interesting. So now I'm into the Bronte sisters. Going back to the question about your live shows, how do you see people experience art in, in a more intimate context versus a more immersive context? How do you reflect on that? We really want to do some projections. We live in an apartment building right now and across the street, there's a giant wall. So we could potentially project there and then everyone on this side of the building would be experiencing it. So we're thinking about like bringing it to your home, but not really inside your home, just like outside your window, which would be really fun. Um, I also feel like I've been collaborating with people from throughout the province and the country in a way that I hadn't before. Mm. Like, they were always there and we always had these tools, but now it feels like it's more attainable. I've also felt a little fearless and there's been some books that I've read recently and then I just contacted the author and told them how cool this book was because, I don't know, it feels like time is running out and it's been wonderful. Yeah, however you can connect with people is great. You know, if it looks good on the phone, hopefully it looks good on the phone. This video was edited on a phone, so it should look good on a phone. <laughs> I don't 
feel like I was doing any good work at the beginning of the pandemic. And once New Music Edmonton called us, just kind of like sparked this thing. Like we need to organize my thoughts, put them onto one track. And then from there, felt like a little bit fearless. I've been wanting to try new things. We've done photo shoots. We've done like a mailing thing. We've done like a lot of things since then. And I feel like this was the catalyst. So thank you very much, New Music Edmonton. was Medicine 2020 by Edmonton duo Bracing Light Pirate. A note that we heard only the audio component of the piece. For the full audio-visual experience, watch for the complete work to be released soon on New Music Edmonton's Vimeo page. We've come to the end of this edition of No Normal. Thank you very much to all of the artists for sharing their thoughts and work, and to interviewers Ainsley Hilliard and Caitlin Sean Richards. To learn more about our programming, please visit newmusicedmonton.ca. The No Normal Podcast was created by Caitlin Sean Richards and Ian Crutchley for New Music Edmonton and is produced and hosted by me, Oscar Tsibarth.